Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Now, if you'd like to grab a Bible, either from in front of you uh, or one of the windowsills, we're now going to look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We're now going to sing our next song, which is... Well, if you'd like to turn back to me to Psalm 46. Um, But before we jump into the passage today, I'd like to start with the question, and that is, how can we guarantee that the church will be preserved. Now by this, I'm not talking just about us here at Trinity today. Um, I'm talking about the worldwide church. How do we know that God will preserve his worldwide church and ensure that they will continue on forever? Well, perhaps these last few years have exposed to a lot of us that the world we live in is a broken and unpredictable place. Whether it's been the pandemic or wars in nearby countries, it's shown to us um, that so many more things are a lot more fragile than we might think. And it can be easy to worry that in amongst all of that, that the church will even be able to withstand the chaos of the world for much longer. For those in the church, things don't seem much different to the chaos outside. Christians still died in the pandemic, faced the loneliness of lockdowns, and have had to experience the horrors of war. So how can we guarantee that years down the line, there'll even still be Christians around to be part of the church? Well, Psalm 46 that we've just sang addresses this head on. As we go through it, we'll see the way that God works through these things that even when the church seems to be dragged through the chaos of the world with everyone else, that there is a guarantee that God will preserve us. 
And as a psalm in God's songbook, we can sing this as we learn to understand it more. So let's dive into the passage now. As we go through this psalm this evening, we're going to take it in three different sections. Um, So just kind of how it's divided in front of you there. Um, So first of all, verse 1 to 3, and then verse 4 to 7, and lastly, verse 8 to 11. So first of all, look with me now to verses 1 to 3, where we'll see that God is our only refuge. So the psalm opens by proclaiming that God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. The rest of the psalm will take the time to unpack the implications of this, but to start off with, we're simply to sing that this fact is true. God is our strength, our our refuge, and our very present help in trouble. The opening line assures us that he is a reliable point, a a reliable point of refuge in the trouble of life. It gives us a picture of God as a mighty fortress, which will be the theme throughout the psalm. But let's not miss the personal nature of that statement either. God is not only a refuge and strength, but is our refuge and strength. As God's people, we can joyfully claim this, knowing that we don't just look to God as some kind of distant fortress that we can't find protection from. No, God is our refuge and strength. As his people, he gives us the safety and security that we need. This personal nature to God's protection is then brought out in the second line of the psalm, if you look at that now. Here we're told that God is a very present help in trouble. Now this phrase, very present, isn't exactly one um, that we use a lot. It's a phrase that suggests more than God just being there. Um, For example, you could use this phrase to describe a football player's performance in a game. Um, you might say so-and-so was a very present force on attack. Although all 22 players on the pitch were present, the one player that's very present is the one that makes a difference. He's the one who was there at all times, having an influence on the game, making it tough for the opposition at all times. It suggests a presence that has a real influence and effect on a given situation. So bearing this in mind, verse 1 assures us that when we're in trouble, God is present and his help will have a real influence and effect on the situation. When the going gets tough, I think that's when it's easy to think that God is possibly distant. Um, Or even if we know that he's present, it can often feel like God is simply just watching in um, without actually any influence on the situation. Um, But verse 1 is a comforting reminder that In times of trouble, God is there with his people and also playing an active role in helping us in our need. And notice that this isn't calling us to choose God as our refuge. It doesn't tell us to go to God as our help in trouble, but the psalm simply states that this is already true. For God's people, he is their strength, refuge, and a very present help in trouble. And because of this, verse 2 tells us that we don't need to have any fear in the worst of times. 
Have a glance over at verses 2 and 3. The psalmist paints a disastrous picture here. And throughout our lives, I'm sure we've all heard of many um, natural disasters that have uh, managed to strike parts of the world, whether it's earthquakes or tsunamis or hurricanes or even this recent pandemic. And we've all seen the chaos and terrible pain that that's, that, that's caused by these events. But all these examples pale in comparison to the events that we have described in this psalm here. It's hard to even imagine a situation as drastic as the one described in this psalm. The earth gives way in verse 2. Imagine the very ground beneath our feet moving out of the way. The mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. Imagine the tallest peaks of the Scottish Highlands being drowned in the sea. Aberdeen is going to be long gone at this point. The largest and most stable things in this world are pictured here to be crumbling away into the roaring sea. And this isn't here to prepare us for some kind of apocalyptic natural disaster. Instead, I think this is a picture of what it sometimes feels like to live in a chaotic world. What the psalmist wants us to remember is that even when the mess of the world, the disasters, the disease, the crime, the war, even when all of these things get so out of hand that they seem to be pulling everything else in the world into them, that as God's people, we don't have to fear because he will be our help. He will help us in that time. God's people have a unique safety in all of that. And I, I guess that's all well and good to say, but some of you might be thinking, well, I can't sing along to that. I'd be lying to say that I'd have no fear at all in a situation like that. There are so many things that are far less frightening than, than this that make me afraid. You know, the seagulls on King Street as I came in made me scared enough, never mind the events we see here. For Christians, it probably feels easy enough to believe that God is our refuge and strength. But the thought of having no fear in the earth-shaking, mountain-breaking events that are described here can just seem unrealistic. I'm sure we'd love to I'm sure we'd all love to be able to say that if worst came to worst, we'd have no fear. But no matter what evil and chaos in the world came, uh, that we'd be able to have complete confidence in God as our help. This, of course, sounds wonderful, but can just seem impossible. And the truth is that there's no one here that could truly claim that they would have complete fearlessness. Not even the psalmist who wrote this would be able to say this. No matter who we are, our confidence in God and fearlessness fall short because of our sinful nature. There's only one person that could truly sing this with complete confidence, and that's Jesus Christ. We see examples of this in the Gospels too. Take the story of Jesus calming the storm. The disciples were in complete terror of this storm, yet Jesus was just able to go to sleep. And I just wonder whether it was the words of this psalm that were going through his head as he rested on that boat. And it's because Christ is able to sing this that we as a church can too. 
Verse 2 says, we will not fear, not I will not fear. So although Christ is the only man to have been able to truly sing this, as his church united to him, we're invited to boldly sing along with him. And ultimately, it has to be a psalm that we sing together as a church. The chaos and sin of the world comes with danger. God being our refuge and strength doesn't make us all invincible as individuals. But as a church, we can confidently sing this, knowing that no matter what chaos and disaster comes, God will preserve his church just as he preserved Christ. And this isn't a preservation that comes without difficulty, though. Christ's preservation um, looks hard. It was a life of hardship, of suffering, of dying, and being brought out the other side in his resurrection. And this is what we should expect as a church, too. It won't be easy, and there will be times where it seems impossible that God will preserve the church through it. But we know that even though each one of us will one day pass away, Christ has given us new life afterwards. And the church will continue to survive until Christ's return. I think as a church, we can so often treat other things as if there are refuge and strength. Whether it's money or skilled church members, the latest tech, or even a new building. We can so often look to those things um, for refuge as a, and as a means of preserving the church. But when the mountains come crashing into the sea, so will our nice buildings, our fancy tech. God will not. He is our only refuge. So what does this help from God look like then? What does it look like for the church to live in this world where chaos and sin are constantly on our doorstep? Well, let's move on to the next section of Psalm where we're given a more detailed picture of what that looks like. So have a look now at verses 4 to 7. And here we read that God is our provider and protector. As we read through this section, notice the way that the language changes back and forth from describing the trouble and chaos of the world to the calm and quiet stillness of God's people. Two aspects of God as a fortress are being described here side by side. The way he provides for his people inside the fortress and the way he protects them from those outside the fortress. We see this first shift in language as we move from verse 3 to verse 4. We go from the chaotic waters of the sea to the peaceful waters of a river flowing through the city of God. The city of God here is Jerusalem, and we read that it's made glad by these streams flowing through it. So what are we to make of this river described here then? Well, unlike all the other significant cities at that time, the city of God, Jerusalem, was known to have no major water source flowing through it. So I think as we read about this river, we're to see it as a symbolic one. In the ancient world, if a fortress or city was under siege, often its ability to withstand an attack didn't actually just come down to its strong walls or a big, powerful army, but actually it was a steady water source. When that was gone, that's when you were in trouble. 
You can have all the defenses you like, but if there's no water supply, then all you'll end up with is a city of starving people cowering behind a wall. A good fortress needs to be able to provide for its people as well as protect them. And this is exactly what we see in verses 4 and 5. The psalmist's picture of God as a fortress includes a fresh supply of, of spiritual water. The Bible often uses this picture of a river to show the way that God supplies his people with love and grace. As the chaos of the world surrounds, God's people aren't just a, a starving, terrified people cowering behind their fortress God. No, the city of God is made glad by these streams flowing through it. Even in the midst of trouble, God's people are able to be glad and enjoy God's love towards them. Even though this river seems so small and weak compared to the powerful crashing waves described earlier, God's people don't have to fear and can enjoy God's love. Now for Jerusalem at that time, the threat wasn't crashing waves, but verse 6 shows us that the chaos that threatened Jerusalem was the chaos of war. Surrounding the city walls of Jerusalem was a world of conflict. The ancient Middle East was a land of constantly shifting empires and kingdoms. And I think the psalm pictures these warring nations just like the raging seas surrounded the mountains earlier on. But there's one big difference here. In verse 2, the mountains are overpowered and crumble into the waves becoming part of the chaotic sea around them. But in verse 5, the city of God shall not be moved. Even though they're surrounded by fighting nations, as it says in verse 6, one nation seems to totter after another. Verse 5 assures us that they won't be engulfed by the surrounding war. They won't just become another kingdom to totter and fall. And this isn't down to anything special about the city itself. Verse 5 makes it clear that the reason that Jerusalem shall not be moved, the reason it wasn't engulfed by all the warring nations surrounding her, was because God is in the midst of her. These are kingdoms that would have seemed far more impressive in terms of their military might. And they're all fighting and falling all around but for the city of God, they shall not fall because that is where God dwells. The God who, as it says in verse 6, can melt the earth by his voice. What an incredible thought that is. The way God was able to overpower and protect his people from these warring nations is like melting wax. And we're talking about some of the most powerful nations in the world at that time. The Chinas and Russias of the ancient world surrounded Jerusalem, yet they simply melt away at the sound of God's voice. This picture of God's provision and protection is then wonderfully summarized in verse 7. A verse we'll see repeated later on at the end of the psalm. It's a wonderful summary of what the psalm is all about. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
the Lord of hosts, the warrior God who can melt the warring nations with his voice, is with his people. He's in their midst, close by them, providing for them, just as a father would for a child. The God of Jacob, the promise-keeping God of his people, is their fortress, powerfully protecting them from the evil of the world all around them. Notice that really this final verse, um, this ver- verse 7, sorry, seems like it's the, uh, it's the wrong way around. The powerful warrior God is described as being intimately close to his people. And it's the personal God of Israel that's described as being their fortress. But this is the beauty of God. These two characteristics, his power over the earth and his personal relationship with his people are intimately connected. And what a wonderful thing to be reminded of at the end of that section. And as we sing this psalm today, we're, we're no longer singing about the literal city of Jerusalem. Not too long after the psalm was written, Jerusalem was sieged and taken captive. The presence of God is recorded by Ezekiel to have left Jerusalem. God would no longer be in the midst of her. Their provision and protection would one be taken away by God, and not because he was unfaithful to them, but because they were unfaithful to God. For us as God's people to be able to sing this psalm with absolute confidence in God's continuous provision and protection, we need a way of ensuring that God will be our fortress forever. And this can only be fulfilled through Christ. After God withdrew his presence from the temple of Jerusalem, God sent Christ as his new dwelling place among his people. The fullness of God dwelled in Christ as a man on earth, never to leave. He too lived in a time where nations and leaders would have been a threat, whether it was the military might of Rome or the power-hungry leaders like Herod. Christ was secure with God as his fortress. And therefore, the church as the body of Christ can also sing the psalm with complete confidence. Recent events have potentially shown us that the threat of war is not completely absent from our lives. The nations continue to rage. And even though it may happen more slowly, kingdoms continue to totter. Russia, China, America, Britain, all these nations will one day fall. As we look back in history at the number of nations, empires, and ideologies that have come and gone, tottered under the competing forces around them, I think it can be easy to wonder whether the church will one day reach a similar fate. This psalm shows us that we can be completely confident knowing that the nation of God's people will never fall. And this isn't because the Bible provides us with any military tactics, and certainly our church buildings aren't going to survive any missile strikes. No, the reason that the church will not fall is because God dwells among us. The church is God's new temple, his new dwelling place on earth, a fact that is guaranteed by Christ. And because of that, the church will not be destroyed. 
in a sea of chaotic, power-hungry nations, we don't have to fear that the church will fall. God is our provider and protector. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. But thankfully, there will come a time where God's church won't need to be protected from the chaos of the world. Our final section of the psalm gives us this assurance. So look with me now to verses 8 to 11, which shows us that God is the bringer of peace. For the first time in the psalm, we receive a command. Verse 8 opens with, Come, behold the works of the Lord. God's people are now being invited to peer over the fortress walls and see the desolation that their fortress God has brought. For the Israelites who originally sang this, it would have been an invitation to joyfully view the remains of their enemies. It's possible that this psalm was written after a specific battle and Israel are being called to go and witness their defeated enemy. But alternatively, this may have just been a more general call to look back on the ways that God had defeated their enemies in the past. But either way, the psalmist wants us to focus on how God and God alone brought Israel's enemies to an end. Whilst they stayed safely inside God's city, being made glad by the streams of God's grace, it was God on the outside using his mighty earth-melting power to destroy the nations that threatened them. This desolation on the earth in verse 8 was proof of God's work. They had it right in front of them. They were able to look around and see the evidence that God truly is their refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. God doesn't want them to be unaware of his work. Verse 9 then shows us that ultimately God will use this almighty earth-melting power to bring peace. He isn't just another raging nation in this sea of surrounding chaos. No, God is the bringer of peace, a peace that will stretch across the whole earth. The language that we see here of broken bows, shattering spears, and, and burnt chariots is striking. For those living in Israel, bow, spears, and chariots would have brought um, a fear to mind in a much more real sense than it might for us today. Think of nuclear weapons being disarmed, guns being smashed, or tanks being burned. That's the kind of relief that these verses would have brought to Israel. This is a picture of global peace, and it's something we crave. Whether we're in the church or beyond, um, this is, world peace is something that everyone craves, and this psalm assures us that God is able to bring it. The tools of chaos and destruction are shown here to fade away by God's power. And in verse 10, the now weaponless people of the world are given a stern command a command that will bring this psalm to its climax. Here God commands the whole world to be still. The chaotic, warmongering, sinful world is called to be still and recognize him as God. Up until this point, the psalm has brought us comfort in knowing that God will protect and preserve his church 
from the trouble of the world. But now we get an even greater comfort knowing that one day there'll be no trouble that we need to be protected from. This is a promise that we can still hold on to today. We too can sing this knowing that Christ's life, death, and resurrection has secured a day when he will return to establish his new and perfect kingdom. With confidence here, God proclaims that he will be exalted among all the nations across the earth. The same nations who were described earlier in verse 6 to rage in a chaotic sea of war, it's in those nations that God will one day be exalted. All people will one day be subject to God. Either they'll be made glad by the streams of God's grace, or they'll face God's powerful earth-melting power. Whether it's through love or terror, ultimately one day, God will subdue all hearts to himself. Whether you're a Christian here today or not, it's clear to see that there's something inherently wrong with the world around us. The chaos of the natural world and the horrors of war show us this. But the great hope of a Christian is that one day this won't be the case. This isn't where the psalmist chooses to end, though. The psalm ends in verse 11 with a repeat of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This final verse here brings us back to the reality of today. God has not yet ended all the chaos and war in the world, but there's still comfort to be found in God. Although we're not yet in the time when the promise of verse 10 has been fulfilled, the psalm ends with a reminder that we do still have God as our fortress and he will preserve the church until that time. God is the bringer of peace. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.